everyone. It is that season. It is that time. Uh, many things to be uh, focused on, as we should, anyways, be. Um, that's going to be a little bit of the focus of the message, but not entirely. We are going through uh, Isaiah. We're in Isaiah 50. These uh, are very exciting, very, for lack of a better word, very pregnant part of Old Testament that uh, has a lot to uh, offer us. And in this time of, uh, of Thanksgiving, it's an it's a even more wonderful time where we're at. Um, God in His uh, providence has chosen for us to be at this place at this time in Scripture. And it's, it's a wonder. It, it is uh, Thanksgiving time. It, it is that time of year when we should, one and all, look introspectively as to why and how we should be thankful to Almighty God for His providential and unseen hand in our daily affairs and care. Um, one of the things that is, uh, I think, lacking in our country is we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that it's God who we owe everything to. And it's one of those things where I think more and more people are starting to wake up to that fact. And it's, um, it's a wonderful thing to see, um, but we have a long way to go. We're not anywhere near where we should be um, because we've wandered so far. Um, and so He is our sustainer. He's our provider. He's our creator and our king. So the question is, what are you thankful for? Have you taken time to just sit and think about it? All the things that you're thankful for. I know every morning when I pray, it's the first thing is, thank you for the breath in my lungs, the strength in my limbs and my relative health. Without which, if it wasn't for God, I would have none of those things because I wouldn't even exist. None of us would. Um, and so as you think about what you're thankful for, I want you to think about that in the, in the, uh, you know, the back parts of your minds and just keep that um, as the day goes on and as the time grows near. In just a few days, we'll be celebrating as a family um, a meal, we'll a feast, we'll give thanks and, and all those things because there are so many things to be thankful for. There really is a lot of things and most of the stuff that we uh, can be thankful for, it's not just stuff. It's the fact that God works in our lives in ways that are unseen, in ways that we can't even understand or comprehend. And it's just amazing. Um, makes me wonder, you know, when everything's over and, and we're in His presence, if He'll actually will ever able to see some of those times and things what He's working behind the scenes in our lives. Um, it's just something to wonder about. And to the one who rejects or the existence of God or Creator and, and yet is thankful, the question arises in my mind, to whom are you thankful? And what are you thankful for if there's no one to thank? It's, it's sad that our country um, has forgotten. Um, I was just reading an article the other day with Martha Stewart, who she canceled Thanksgiving because there's too many people that were sick and couldn't make it, so she's just not even going to bother. It's like, well, it's not about, I mean, I, I get that you want to cook for people and show off your skills, but that's not what it's about. She misses the whole point. And the world misses the whole point. Um, because, uh, I mean, even in the retail stores, you see we went from uh, Halloween straight into Christmas. Very little even acknowledgement about this time of the year when we should be thankful. 
And it is, uh, um, I, I agree with uh, some of our past presidents who said that it's not a, only should be a day of thanksgiving, but it should be a day of humiliation and prayer. That's what it should be. It should be a day to be able to come before God and thank Him. Um, I like what uh, uh, Pastor um, Vodi Bauckham has, has said in concerning with people who reject the idea of God. That always come up with this question, you know, if, if God is good, then, you know, why does he allow all this evil? And he says, that's the wrong question. He says, if you really want to talk philosophy with me and you want to be honest, he says, you got to ask the question right. And, he, and what is the right question? The right question is, why hasn't or why didn't God kill me in my sleep to judge me for everything that I thought and everything that I did and all those things that I sinned against him. He says, when you come to me with that honesty, then we'll sit and talk. Otherwise, don't bring your, your falsehoods to me. I'm, I'm not interested. Because um, there is a God. And he's a God with whom we have to do. And I kind of get a kick of telling people sometimes when they say, well, I don't believe that. I love to be able to say, well, that's irrelevant. I didn't say that that's an elephant. I said, that's irrelevant. And the irrelevancy is going to be bigger than an elephant because you are going to deal with God whether you like it or not. Every single one of us will. The scriptures have told us this. And uh, so it's okay to be thankful. It's, it's a wonderful time of the year. Without God, we would not exist, right? There wouldn't be any of us. And one of the wonders is uh, that we're asked all the time as, as believers is, well, if God knew that man was going to sin, why did he make him? Well, I'm not God, so I can't answer that question because I don't have an answer to that except that, well, because he can, because he knows the end from the beginning. It is the plan of redemption that he put into place, and that's what we're going to be talking about a lot today. That's what I'm going to be preaching on. Um, it signals also a time when we uh, celebrate the miraculous incarnation. And by signaling, I mean it's another season that comes after Thanksgiving that we focus on. And it's not about gifts, and it's not about all this stuff, and it's not about some red fat guy in a, in a red suit with a beard and all that stuff who rides a fake sleigh and all that stuff. It's not about that. It's about the incarnation, the miraculous incarnation of God the Son. That's what it's really about. And do we believe that Jesus was born on that day? No. No Christian believes that. We just choose that day to celebrate and remember that he did come into this world. When this unbelievable, unlikely story unfolded. And I understand of the people of that time how they could see is this, is, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this. It wasn't just because their, hard, their hearts were hardened. That was part of it. But it's an un unbelievable story. God the Creator, the second person of the triune God, steps into His own creation, into the physical reality of what it is, our physical reality. And not only that, this eternal being who set aside the privileges of the glory of, that is His and came and became a man like one of us, he stepped into time. 
He's eternal. He made time. He invented it. And he stepped into those, the, the, the hands of constraining time, which he had never experienced because he's eternal. He lived in timelessness. It was just existence, pure existence, and he needed nothing. Don't ever think that he made uh, the heavens and the earth and he made people on the earth and all the animals and all those things because he needed to. He didn't. He did it because it shows his glory. He did it because he loves. That's his nature. And God the Son in his love, the second person of the triune God, um, in the most inauspicious and ignominious way, this God of all creation stepped into his own creation. And we also celebrate that at this time of the year. We begin to get those juices flowing, as it were. Um, and he came, the pre-incarnate Christ, in this, this part of the scriptures that we're in, the pre-incarnate uh, Christ is the one who will be speaking. Uh, I've titled today's message, it's a weird title, it's called I, Me, My, Vicarious Suffering. It's like, what does that mean? Here we're seeing the, uh, what's called another one of the servant songs. And it's a, it's a fruitful time for it to fall um, the way that it has on, the, on our calendar. Because when we think about Thanksgiving, this is what we should really be thankful for. God the Father could have sent His Son at that time in the first century A.D. And He could have sent Him as a conquering king. And we would all be damned to hell because of it. He says so in Isaiah 61. We'll get there one of these days. But here he sent his son to do the unthinkable, to do the miraculous, and to live in a way that we could not ever live. You and I can never live the way that he did. He lived that life for us in our place. He didn't just die in our place on the cross. He lived in our place in his life. And it satisfied the fulfillment of of all of the law. He filled it. He made it. And so here in Isaiah verses 4 through 7, we're going to see um, that, that uh, Jesus is the one that is speaking, the pre-incarnate Christ. And knowing uh, he, the, this pre-incarnate Christ speaking about himself and that which he would experience at the hands of evil, wicked men. And yet he came. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He knew that people would betray Him, reject Him. If you've ever felt alone and rejected, Jesus felt the most alone and rejected more than any other human being. He knows what it's like to be rejected. Knowing all that He would face, here the prophet continues in a very graphic and descriptive language to express the redemptive plan of God. This is what it was going to cost, y'all. This is what it was going to cost the living God for people to be saved. And so, read with me, if you will, in verses 4 through 7 in Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50, where we're at, verses 4 through 7. And here's how it reads. It reads, 
<clears throat> and remember, this is on the uh, heels of, of uh, God answering the doubts and the unbelievability of what had been spoken by the yet future people of God. And he's answering their questions about the certificate of divorce. We went over that last week. And on the heels of that, um, after saying, look, I'm the one who clothes, in verse 3, I'm the one who clothes the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. In other words, they were questioning his power and his ability to do so. And he said, no, I'm the one that does that. You've forgotten. I'm the one who does that, who has made these things. And then he says, the Lord God... Literally, Adonai Yahweh has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient. Nor did I turn my back. I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore I am not disgraced, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this portion of scripture where we get to sneak peek, a sneak preview from the past of a time when you spoke in the past about the future and it's as if it was present at that time. It's a mystery. You're a mystery. The fact that anyone can know you is just amazing. It's glorious. It's astounding and perplexing. What kind of a God can do this? The only God that we truly know and can know, for you alone are God. We thank you, Lord, for these um, amazing things that you have brought forth so that we may have them and know them. And we can hear from eternity if we'll only listen of the wonders of our God and the glories of his Son. We thank you, Lord, for all of these things and more. We pray now, Lord, open up our eyes, ears, minds, and hearts to these truths that we may be even in more awe of who you are. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So he begins, or we begin, with this portion of Scripture where you notice that one of the things that he does here is... It's the, through the prophet Isaiah, this is the recording for us, and the person that is speaking is using the first person personal pronouns to speak of pronouns. We're in a crazy day of all different kinds of pronouns. And, uh, but here, he is speaking directly. He is speaking, and, and just keep track of the eyes, the mys, the me's, the minds. These are important because this is God speaking directly about things that were going to happen. And so um, he says that the Lord has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain a weary one with a word. This is the voice of the servant. It's one of the um, servant songs 
that are written for us in Isaiah. And it's, he is speaking hundreds of years, 740 to 800 or 680 years before the events took place. But the mystery is he's speaking as if it's already happened, it's already taken place, because he's an eternal being. And yet he was still willing to come, God incarnate, to be like a man and to step into the constraints of time. That's what you and I know. We know time from when it began for us until we're gone. And that's all we'll ever know. That's how we experience time. Here's the eternal being speaking in terms of 740 to 680 years before the events take place as if it's already happened. Because in the mind of God, it had already happened. Before the foundations of the world, the Bible tells us that God put this plan into effect. It was already done in His thinking and the way that He brought it forth. It's a mystery. It's an amazing thing to see this. It would be 740 to 600 years, in fact, before it would come to fruition and be realized. The unthinkable would take place. And yet here we read of the mission of the Messiah in the dark terms, in the stark terms, in terminology that describe what he would face, how he would face it. And knowing these things, the wonder is that he came. Here's the person that can order a legion of angels to destroy the entire earth at any moment. As he said, in, as he was being accused of all the, the falsehoods and things, he says, I could send 12 legions of angels. And they would destroy everything. And instead, knowing what he would face, he chose the nails. He chose to come. He chose to give his life for an unlovable people. He came to give his life in exchange for an unredeemable people. He came to save lost people. It's been said that Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. That's not what his purpose was. That wasn't his mission. His mission was to come and make dead men live. To give them life and life abundant. That's what we should be thankful for. The eternal God that stepped into our physical reality to give life. And what was the blood? What was the lifeblood of that life? His very blood is what he was willing to give in exchange for that. Because he wasn't focused on all of those things that he knew were going to happen. He was focused on something else, and we'll get to that. It's uh, in dark terms from the expression of the evil he would vicariously and willingly experience at the hand of evil men, even his very brothers, people who were supposed to receive him and who were expecting him, and ultimately they rejected him and wanted nothing to do with him. They despised him. 
and also a Gentile people that would reject him and cause and inflict these things. So as Jesus uh, came, he, he did, when he did come, he did gather to himself disciples. And he had the tongue of disciples. It's the tongue of disciples that we listen to in the New Testament. Matthew, all the way through Revelation. It's their writings. It's their preaching. It's their teaching. It's what we hold as doctrine. It's what we hold as theology. It's what we hold as what we should believe and understand and not take out of context. It's their tongues that we listen to. Listen to what it says in John 17, as he's praying in the upper room for his disciples. He's praying to the Father, and he's praying that he would be allowed to see his apostles. They were disciples at the time, and they would graduate to being apostles. And he's praying that they would see his glory. Which glory? The glory that they saw at the top of the mountain? At the transfiguration? No. He says, the glory that I had with you, Father, before the earth was. He's talking about eternity. That from which he came. His very essence. It belongs in eternity in heaven. In John chapter 17, verses 6 through 12... As he's praying, he says this, I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. By the way, if you have ever thought about the idea that you could sell your soul to the devil, set that aside. Reject that. Remove it from your thoughts. Don't ever let anybody tell you that. Because it's not possible. This is one of the places where we can go. They belong to the Father. Why? Because He's the Creator. It's all His. We're all His. And this is what He says. You, uh, the, the men whom you gave out of the world. Where were they at? In the world. Along with everyone else. He says, you gave them to me. That shows that they belong to Him. You can't sell your soul to the devil. Your soul belongs to God is what I'm saying. Hear that. It totally belongs to God. And He'll do with it as He pleases. Then He says, They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now that they have come to know that everything you gave, uh, have, that you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me I have given to them. And they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I think he's making reference to that um, proclamation that Peter made. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. The Christ. The one who came into the world. And then he says, he says uh, um, that they have believed that you have sent me. Then he says in verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, 
the name which you have given me, that they may be even uh, one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Now jump down to verse 20 and 21 in the same prayer. It's a continuing prayer. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. This is something to be thankful for, y'all. This is something to rejoice in. This is Jesus praying for us. This is Jesus praying for anyone who would come to believe. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. These who? These disciples. But for those also who believe in me through their word, the tongues of disciples, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then concerning the church in Acts 2, 41 through 47, here you have the day of Pentecost and the recordings of all the acts of the apostles. They had graduated from disciples and now they're apostles. And on that day of Pentecost, every single one of them were changed. They were transformed. The power of the Holy Spirit now indwelt them. And they would never be the same. And it's the same thing for any believer. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you are changed. When He causes you to come and convicts you of your sin, He changes you. And He shows you where you can get the remedy for the sin that has bitten you and caused this poison to flow through your blood. For it flows in every single person from conception all the way through to the death. But some have been brought to a new life. And that is in the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, this is after all those things that they started, had, had been gathering and assembling together. And what were they doing? Well, this tells us, Acts 2, 41 says, So then, those who had received His word were baptized, and that, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Important things to think about. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. There is the tongues of disciples. That's what the book of Isaiah is speaking about, I believe. Some commentators have a different take on it. That's what I see when I read this. And then he says in verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. Yes, that is that temple. Although it had been essentially made null and void, they were still going to the temple. I don't believe that they were offering sacrifices anymore because they understood that, hey, you don't need to do that anymore. We've had the sacrifice. But they were going to share the gospel. 
to share this new news. So they're there in the temple, he says, um, day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. That means they were breaking bread. They were having potluck all the time. It's part of the fellowship. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Remember, when Christianity came into being, it wasn't accepted by everyone. You became an enemy of the state, kind of like we are now. And that's why they would break bread together. They would know that they're not alone. And I want you to know that you're not alone. Everyone who is a believer is with you. And they will help you in your time of need. And they were praising God, hallelujah, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the tongue of disciples. And this is what I believe that this uh, um, <clears throat> verse 4 is speaking of. And then he says, he awakens me, going back to verse 4 in Isaiah 50, he awakens me morning by morning. Just like us. Jesus, in the incarnation, he slept at night, and he woke up in the morning, and he says, he awakens me, morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen. That awakens my ear is the Hebrew word. Um, in verse 5, he says, the Lord has opened my ear, and it was not, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. That word there is patach, patach. And it literally means to open, to be opened, to be let loose, to be thrown open. The idea here is God was speaking directly to His Son day by day. Jesus would spend hours sometimes on His own early in the morning. He would go off on His own to the mountain and pray to spend time with the Father. And he would listen, and he would pray, and he would make petitions, and he would just to be in fellowship. One of the things that these passages reminds me of is the mystery that is eternal life. And by that I mean, we don't know what it's like to have been eternal, be eternally God be eternally in this triune community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to all of a sudden not be able to experience that as your life. Now you have this different experience. We have no idea what that's like. There's so many things that are going on here that we really should stop and think about and be thankful for. And so he would find the time and spend hours with the Father alone, not amongst other people, just to be with him. I can imagine the longing that must have been setting upon his heart and soul to be where he belonged, especially where he's with sinful people like me and you, having been perfect for all eternity. And then having to be amongst all our thoughts and all our deeds and all our wickedness and all our evil and all our, our, our just awful sin. How it must have been refreshing to be in the presence of the Father and to hear from Him. And He says, He awakens me every morning 
and he teaches me and he speaks to me. In 1 Samuel, this is kind of akin to what, what's being spoken here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. When God chose um, Saul to be the first king, technically the second king, because God was supposed to be their king. And if you remember that story from 1 Samuel, Samuel was distressed and God says, Hey man, they, just understand this, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And they want a man in place of who I am. And he says, I'm going to give them that. And it's going to cost them. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 9, chapter 15 through 17. Um, now 15, it says, Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And you shall anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel. And he will deliver my people from the, land, from the hand of the Philistines. For I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. Notice that. It's not because of Saul. It's not because he was a kingly guy. It's because of his people. I've had regard for the voice of my people. So don't stop praying. Keep praying to him. Pray for your families. Pray for your lost ones. Pray for those who you love and don't know Jesus. And pray for the country as well. God hears. He says here, I had regard for the prayers of my people. And then it says, um, because their cry has come to me, verse 17, when Samuel uh, saw Saul, the Lord said to him, behold, the man whom, uh, of whom I speak to you, this one shall rule over my people. And there where it's worth talking about that, the Lord said to him, the idea there in the Hebrew is his ear was uncovered. And God whispered to him, this is the guy. Here's the guy. And then afterwards, if you remember, when Saul had failed and God said, nah, this, this guy's done. I'm done with him. And he chose another king, a wholly different type of king. And it was the same thing. And Samuel goes and the firstborn of Jesse, he's a tall, handsome, manly. He's like everything you'd think a leader would be. And as soon as Samuel saw him, he was like, there's got to be the guy. <laughs> this guy's got to be the guy. God says, nope, that's not him. And so the next guy, he's a little bit lesser, but he's still pretty, pretty up there. And Nope, that's not the guy. And he goes through all of the sons, and Samuel's sitting there scratching his head like, is this all your sons? And Jesse says, oh, no, 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 we've, we've still got one more. He said, he's out there in the fields. He's their youngest. Samuel says, go get him. And he gets him, and as he comes, there God says, this is the one. You look at the outside, Samuel. You look at the outside of men. You look at the, the things that men look to. He says, I look into the heart. I look into the soul. This is my chosen one, my anointed. And so he has uncovered his ear. And in the same thing it says in Psalm chapter 40, verses 4 through 8, it says this, this David, this one who was ultimately chosen as the king, he says in Psalm 40, verses 4 through 8, he says, How blessed is the man 
who has made the Lord his trust. I love that. You make the Lord your trust. Hey, I don't trust anything but the Lord. I don't trust what the media tells me. I don't trust what the news people tell me. I don't trust any of that stuff. I don't even trust what you say. I trust the Lord. He won't lie to us. And he says, and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Boy, do we know those people. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done. And your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would come, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. There's that phrase. God speaks and he causes the ear to be opened, to be received. And then he says, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Saying it's not about the sacrifices. It's not about what you can bring. It's not about those things that you can purchase and and bring and sacrifice to me. He says it's not about that. This is in the Psalms. Long before that time of Christ would come. He's already speaking of grace. He says, it's not about that. It's not about those things. He says, sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. It's David speaking, but it's the pre-incarnate Christ speaking through David in the Spirit. And he says, the scroll of the book, it is written of me. In the King James, I believe it says the volume of the book. In other words, everything from Genesis all the way through what would become known as Revelation or the the book of the, uh, the revealing of the things of the ends of time. He says, it's written of me. David can't make that claim. But David the king who was promised can. This is the pre-incarnate Christ speaking. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. This is the pre-incarnate Christ that in spite of having declared all those things that are going to happen that we're going to read here in a minute, I'm the one whose focus is delighting myself in you, O God. That's what my focus is. He wasn't focused on all the physical things that would happen. Uh, Back in uh, Isaiah 50, verse 6, he says, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. One thing to consider. This isn't recorded for us, the plucking out of the beard. It's not recorded for us in the book of Matthew. And in your bulletins, I gave you those those cross-references where you could go and check them out and see all the things that was recorded. This particular thing was not recorded for us in the New Testament. But it's recorded here. And one thing to consider is this. When Christ rose from the dead... He rose bodily. He was definitely dead. They buried him. and On the third day, he rose again. 
And in the accounts that we have about his resurrection, those who were his disciples, whose tongues God would use so that you and I can believe, he, the people, the disciples, they had a problem. Every time they encountered what were recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they couldn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. It's mysterious. They had been with him for three solid years. They knew what he looked like. It tells us that there's something that happens to the glorified body. And it's very possible, and I want you to consider this, it's very possible that that body that they plucked out the beard and he gave his back that God the Son for all eternity will have this nail-scarred body, nail-scarred hands, a face that's disfigured. The beautiful Son of God who is more beautiful than anything we could think of is marred and disfigured because of our sin. And he'll bear those scars for all eternity. That's something heavy to think about. And he bore those on your behalf and my behalf. So that we could be free from the sin, from the sting of death. He says, I gave my back. This is a willingness. This is volitional. This is something that he was willing to do. And he faced it like a man. Not like this effeminate Jesus that so many people think of. He was the men of all mensch. He was the manliest of men. He didn't cry out. He didn't tap out. He went forward. This idea here, he gave his back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. As you can see, I have a beard. And sometimes when I'm working, I have to work down low, so i got to get down on my hands and knees, sometimes even lay down in order to do certain things. And sometimes the beard gets in the way. And so when I hurry up to get up, it pulls out beard hair. It hurts. And that's just one or two singular hairs. I can't imagine what it would feel like for a man to grasp hold of my beard and pull out, pluck out the beard. I can only imagine how much more that must have hurt. And still he went forward. Still he gave himself. Still he was willing to do this. He says, I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. We instinctively do this. He didn't. The spittle of these wicked, evil men who mocked him and made fun of him. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 30, I'll let you read some of those other passages. But here in particular it says in Matthew 27, verses 27 through 30. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head 
and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him, took the reed, and began to beat him on the head. And he allowed it to happen. The very one who could have called 12 legions of angels allowed it to take place. Um, from McLaren's expositions in, in the commentary, it says this, concerning the, the pure voluntary uh, picture that we're being painted here where he willingly did this. He chose to do this. It wasn't like a, an idea that came secondarily. It was something that was chosen. It was something that in all eternity was decided. Before the heavens and the earth were made, this had already been put into place. And he went forward, and it says this, McLaren's exposition says this, The word originally expressed the patient submission with which he endured at the moment, when the lash scored his back. But it may be widened out to express Christ's perfect voluntariness in all his passion. At any moment he could have abandoned his work if his filial obedience and his love to men had let him do so. His would-be captors fell to the ground, and before one momentary flash of his majesty, they could have laid no hand on him if his will had not consented to his capture. And which the evangelists emphasized that all his suffering was voluntary, and that his love to us restrained his power and led him to the slaughter. Silent as a sheep before her shearers. For he has portrayed the majestic figure seated in passive endurance with eyes blindfolded but yet wide open behind the bandage. All seeing, wistful, sad, patient, while around are fragments of rods and smiting hands. And a cruel face blowing spittle on the unshrinking cheeks. He seems to be saying, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou couldst have no power at all against me unless it were given thee. The words that he said to Pilate. You don't have the power to do this. The only reason this is happening is because it's been ordained. God has given you the authority to do this. And it's only by his hand. As he says here in verse 7, he says, For the Lord God helps me. This was his focus. This is where his mind was. This is where his heart was. This is where his eyes were. Not on those things that were being poured out and all that evil and all that wickedness and all that violence. No, he was focused on this. Even in the midst of all those things, he says, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. He was resolved and he was determined to face that opposition. And in the face of opposition. Remember, it's not just a group of people there that opposed Christ's 
plan of redemption. It's an entire world that opposes him. And it's an entire world that opposes him still today. I know. I used to oppose him. And it's only by God's grace that I don't do so now. And we're, we're told of what our attitude should be in Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is the example. And speaking of this very time when he gave his back, when he knew that the beard would be plucked, when he knew that they would spit in his face, he still knew that it's not me who will be humiliated because my God helps me. It says in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. No truer words were ever spoken. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him, see, this was his focus. He was focused on something more than just the immediate. He was focused on the future, on a far yet very far future. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. That's what he endured. The hostility of sinners. The very people that he could have just, like that, condemned to hell at any time. He endured the hostility by sinners against him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's by what he has done that gives us strength. Our endurance is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Our endurance is found in the fact that he did die and that he was falsely accused and he was not guilty of those things. He lived the perfect life and he earned the right to die on the cross on our behalf. For we needed an eternal sacrifice. One that will never be blotted out. One that will never go away. One death once for all. And as it says in the end of Psalm 22 and in those pages in Matthew, Mark, Luke where Jesus is on the cross and right before he dies he says, To tell us die. It's finished. Paid in full. It's done. There's no more to do. There he purchased redemption. And he did so willingly. He laid down his life. And he gave and shed his blood. His love bled for us. His blood he gave in crimson streams. So that we might know that there is forgiveness that there is redemption, that there is hope, and that He is our only hope, and there is no other hope apart from Christ and His sacrifice. 
And that's what's so wonderful about this time, is we can be thankful, and we should be thankful. Here in our passages, we read of the tender love of our Lord. And it's not as much the love for us, it's the love that He has for the Father. And wanting to glorify His Father in heaven. But it's also a love for us. Why? How do we know that? We just read that in John chapter 17, where He prayed. He prayed on behalf of His apostles. And He prayed on behalf of those who would, through their word, through their tongue, come to know Him. He prayed on our behalf. So that we might be saved. We see the tender love of our Lord and the ferocious strength and indomitable determination to deal with the penalty of sin once for all. To work out the plan of salvation and redemption and the love is from the fact that it is in the midst of all this humiliation he only thinks of his father's love and the tender care with which he would take care of him. And simultaneously the love and the pity that he shows towards the lost and desperate sinner who's deserving of his judgment and condemnation. But gets what he doesn't deserve. Grace. Grace upon grace. Mercy upon mercy. Every morning is a new day of mercy. Every morning is a new day of grace. He gives this to the lost and desperate sinner who otherwise would only know despair, torment, condemnation, and contempt from his holy creator. His steadfast love and sheer will to go forward is what we have to be thankful for. So I'll ask you again, what are you thankful for today? Are you thankful that Jesus came and that he gave his life on your behalf? That he died in your place. That vicarious and ignominious death that he suffered. The humiliation. The spitting. The plucking of the beard. The giving of the back. And all those things. Are you thankful that you'll never have to suffer that? By God's hands. You may have to at the hands of evil wicked men. Who reject Christ. But you'll never have to worry about suffering that if you trust and believe in Christ Jesus and receive Him. Jesus said you must be born again. And apart from that, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's something that God does in us. We should be so thankful at this time. And remember that we're almost ready to step into the season where we celebrate that wonderful, miraculous incarnation. Jesus owned it. He claimed it. He lived it. And he stated categorically, I gave my back. In those first personal pronouns, I gave my back. I gave my beard. I gave my ear, my cheeks, my face. He is the manliest mensch who who has ever lived. There's never been a more manly man. He is God incarnate. The prophet speaks prophetically 740 to 680 years. And he speaks of it as, a, as, it, as though it has already happened. But it's a future event. 
But because of Christ's divinity and his eternality, he describes it in the first person, in the present tense, Jesus paid it all. Question is, do you know him? If you don't know him, please, I beseech you, know him, receive him. Thank him for dying on the cross for your sin. Confess that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, and come to know Christ and receive him. Otherwise, there's another eternity of condemnation, of contempt, and of torment and despair. Or you can have joy and rejoice everlasting. You can know hope and you can live in the light of Christ. Those are your choices. The choice is yours. Choose Christ and live. Choose Christ and be thankful for more than just the physical things in this world, but for so much more. Praise Him. Bless Him. Thank Him. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your goodness and grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for these words that were spoken, that we can rest on them, and we can climb upon the joyous mountain of these words, and that they are sure, that they were spoken of a time that would yet happen, and they were spoken as though they had already happened because of who Jesus is who he would be incarnate, the perfect man, the only truly holy man that has ever lived. We thank you. We're so thankful for this time, for all that you have provided. Too many things we would never stop praying if we really thought about all the things that we can be thankful for. we thankful, Lord. We're thankful for you. We're thankful most of all that you are our God and King and that you have revealed yourself in the pages of Scripture that we can know you assuredly. We thank you for the writings that we have, the things that were wrote, written and spoken by the tongues of your disciples and apostles, that we can know that we are your children because the Holy Spirit tells us that we are. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for adopting us, for grafting us in for making us new and forgiving us of our sin. Lord, how we praise you and we thank you, we bless you. We thank you most of all for Jesus who gave himself without holding anything back, who gave himself fully so that we might be saved. We praise you, we thank you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.